scripture, Deuteronomy 5, 1 to 7, Deuteronomy. You shall have no other gods before me. Today's Old Testament reading is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Moses convened all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and ordinances that I am addressing to you today. You shall learn them and observe them diligently. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Not with our ancestors did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the fire. At that time, I was standing between the Lord and you to declare to you the words of the Lord. But you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up on the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. So friends, what is the first commandment? Let's try that again. We're very tentative with our commandments. I guess I sort of know why. What is the first commandment? Amen. Let us pray. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light into our path. We pray that through these human words, your living word might be heard, that through your word, your light will shine, bring light to our darkness, and enlighten our way. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. So as I've said, we're continuing our Ten Commandments series with the first commandment. And the first commandment, as we said, is? You shall have no other gods before me. In order to understand this commandment, of course, it's necessary to first understand what we mean by gods. Which other gods might we put before the God? Which gods not to put first? And of course, from the perspective of ancient Israel, the gods were basically bad news. You remember that Israel was in bondage in Egypt for 400 years, 400 years of back-breaking forced labor, theft, and humiliation. And of course, they were under the thumb of the Egyptian pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and were there to serve him. Pharaoh was the one who cracked the whip, but Pharaoh had a master too. Pharaoh had many masters, actually. Because Egypt, like many ancient peoples, had hundreds, if not thousands, of gods. And while these gods were benevolent in the sense that they brought the rains, they ensured fertility, and made the crops possible, human beings existed more or less to serve them to meet their needs. So even though Pharaoh was at the top, he had a boss too, right? Sort of like how, you know, Justin Trudeau is not our head of state. 
Her Majesty the Queen is, right? Pharaoh had a boss too. So the Israelites were the least of the were the least of these at the bottom of the social pyramid, if you'll excuse my pun. Um, <laughs> Egyptians and pyramids. <laughs> um, but Egyptians' gods were the one, or Egypt's gods were the ones that put them there. The gods were the justification for their degradation. They spent all day, seven days a week in the brickyard, whipped and worked to death, not just for Pharaoh's sake, but for the gods and their glory. And these gods were incredibly cruel taskmasters, really. It was take, 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 and you might get some crumbs from the table. It was take, 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 with only the bare threads of existence given in return. Now, of course, from the perspective of ancient Israel, the Egyptian gods were bad news. They were selfish, vindictive, and oppressive, used to justify their bondage. So why wouldn't you want to worship something other than them? Why would you want to worship them in the first place? Worshiping these gods doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you're at the bottom of the pyramid, if they are responsible for your oppression. Now, it may have made perfect sense to Moses and the Israelites, but it makes a lot less sense to us. Now, of course, the ancient world was packed to the gills with all sorts of gods and spiritual entities everywhere. Statues were everywhere. There was a temple on every corner and a shrine in every home. But in our post-Christian world, or at least post-Christian North America, we more or less tuck these things in the mythology section of the bookstore, right? Ancient superstitions and stories that we have thankfully left behind us with a flat earth for the most part. Of course, the famous atheist biologist Richard Dawkins once wryly said that the only difference between him and Christians is that he believes in one fewer God, right? This was, of course, meant to suggest that one God is just as superstitious as many, but it does illustrate a point that religious and non-religious people alike are highly unlikely to turn to polytheism to the Egyptian, the Egyptian gods once again. We won't be rolling out the red carpet for Zeus or Odin or Amun-Ra when times get tough anytime soon. The commandment may have made a lot more sense and demanded more urgency for Moses and other ancient peoples, but for us, not so much. Our world is not so much a world of gods. Our choice seems to be between one god or none, right? One god or none. This, of course, though, depends on a rather narrow definition of gods. The great reformer Martin Luther, I quoted him last week, you know, his commentary on the commandments is gold. But Luther said, commenting on the first commandment way back in the 16th century, a whole different world, right? They still had many gods, many spirits in the world, even if there was one true God. He defined gods more broadly than just the personalities of the pagan pantheon. What is it to have a god, he asked. What is it to have a god? Answer, 
A God is that to which we look for all good and in which we find refuge in every time of need. To have a God is nothing else than to trust and believe that thing with our whole heart. That to which your heart clings and entrusts yourself, I say, is really your God. That to which your heart clings and entrusts itself, I say, is really your God. So gods, they don't have to be statues, you know, like the Indiana Jones idol, right? Or a guy wearing a Viking helmet, wielding a giant hammer, you know? Luther says that if someone has, quote, great learning, wisdom, power, prestige, family and honor and trust in them, he also has a God. Whatever we put our hearts to, to is our God. I mean, it's interesting that the first commandment that's broken in the Bible is really the first commandment. Way back in Genesis, Adam and Eve eat the fruit, fr- fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, despite the fact that God warned them not to, saying that if they did, they would be like God, knowing good from evil. The first instance of the commandments being broken is when human beings wanted to be gods themselves. The primal sin is self-centeredness, putting ourselves at the center of the world. Whatever we organize our lives around, direct our hearts towards, that is our God. You don't even have to believe in gods to have them. It's whatever our hearts cling to and trust. And what's interesting too, what's more though, is that today's gods operate in much the same way as the old ones do. Right? I'm reminded of a commencement address given by the late journalist and novelist David Foster Wallace in 2005 titled, This is Water. I'll put a link to it on the on the website when I post the sermon, but you can find this online, David Foster Wallace. Wallace struggled his entire life with depression and flirted with multiple faith traditions, trying Catholicism twice, (laughs) before eventually ending his life in 2008. But in his address, this address, he kind of sounds like Luther. He sounds like Luther, and he warns college students as they graduate and enter the so-called real world to be on guard against our many gods and their demands. In the day-to-day trenches of life, he says, in adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships, he says. The only choice we get is what to worship. The only choice we get is what to worship. And he continues. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. 
Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. We all worship. The only choice is what we get to worship. And you're likely familiar with uh, Naomi Osaka, the Japanese-American tennis player. Osaka, one of the world's highest-ranking tennis players, has been candid in the news about her mental health struggles. Most recently, she decided to take a hiatus from playing, citing these same concerns around mental health. Recently, she, she said, Recently, when I win, I don't feel happy. I feel more like a relief. When I win, I don't feel happy. I feel more like a relief. When I lose, I feel very sad. And I don't think that's normal. Tennis, fame, success, winning for Osaka has become a cruel taskmaster. One that doesn't give joy or meaning or purpose, but simply relief when she wins. Rejection and devastation when she doesn't. We still have our gods, even if we don't believe in them. Everybody worships, whether it's money, beauty, sex, youth, family, power, or intellect, we all have gods that we organize our lives around. They may not be the old gods, but they're just as demanding, self-centered, and deceptive. Even good things like family, community, friendship, incredible athletic abilities, they promise everything but never actually deliver on any of it in the end. It's why we're so unhappy. We can give them our whole lives, and in the end, they'll leave us hungry, empty, anxious, and alone. We all worship. What we worship is the choice. We all have gods. What's yours? So everybody worships. We all have gods who just take and take and take and leave us unsatisfied. So what is the alternative? What is the alternative? A friend of mine in university once said that his God was doing good. That his God was doing good. That if simply he oriented his life around doing the right thing, then he would receive peace and freedom and a sense of meaning. And what's wrong with that? It's appealing. That sounds good. But the truth is that even doing good can be just as demanding a God as all the others. Because there's no way we can ever be good enough 
or do good enough. It's the reason why activists often throw in the towel after just a few years. It's why compassion fatigue is a real thing. The world is bottomless need. Even doing good can be a cruel taskmaster, a demanding God. The alternative, I guess, is the first commandment. And what is that first commandment? Do not put any other gods before me. And the me being the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, of Isaac, of Abraham and Sarah, Yahweh, the, the God who brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land, the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Why? Well, this God is different from all the other gods. Whereas the Egyptian gods enslaved the Israelites to further their gains, this God's first purpose was their liberation. Whereas the Egyptian gods were dedicated to their own selfishness and aggrandizement, putting themselves before the needs of humanity, this God's first move was in satisfying their needs in the desert wilderness with water from the rock and bread from heaven. It's part of a longer, larger pattern in the Bible. This is the kind of God she needed. Nothing from the world brought it into being out of pure, self-giving love. This is the kind of God who breaks chains, brings exiles home, and fills the hungry with good things. This is the kind of God who sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike. I'm quoting scripture in case you haven't noticed. The kind of God who heals the sick, has mercy and compassion on sinners. The kind of God who isn't waiting for us to get our lives together to bless us or help those who can help themselves, but one who gives us all good things abundantly, generosity, and without fail. The kind of God who came not to be served, but to serve, that we may have life and have it in the full. The kind of God who would give himself in the form of his son on a cross for the salvation of the world. Whereas all the other gods are take, 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 take. This God is give, 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 give. This God's whole being is love. This God is unlike all the other gods. And the alternative to all the other gods who will just eat us alive is to put this God first above all others. This is why faith is so central to our tradition, faith. It's not about simply believing God exists or about holding particular doctrines, ideas, or concepts, as important as they may be. It's about what our hearts cling to. It's about who we trust to give us life. 
And unlike all the other gods whose modes is take, 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 this God's very nature is love to give and give and give from beginning to end. Even the commandments themselves are a gift. The gift of life with God, what the good life with God looks like. A life of freedom. And there's nothing we have to do to earn it. It's only received. Because this God is the God of giving. It's already given. It's already given. The truth is, friends, that we all have our gods, whether they call them gods or not. They promise everything, but in the end, we are left with nothing. The good news is, though, that there is an alternative. And that alternative is the first commandment to have no other gods before the true good God. A God who isn't out for herself, but is heaven-bent on bringing us life. And the promise is that if we put our trust in this God, if we put this God before all others, all those other things we long for, truth, beauty, goodness, peace, justice, hope, and love, a transformed life, with this God... All those other things the other gods promise on but won't deliver, all these things are given for free and without price. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given unto you. May the ever-giving God of grace have mercy on us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Amen. stand for our hymn of the day in Christ alone.
Hey, cry.